Uh, chapter 1, verse 15 of the Song of Songs, and uh, let me read it, and then we will, um, we'll get stuck into that together. He, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. She, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming, and our bed is verdant. He, the beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. She. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. He, like a lily among thorns, is my darling among the young women. She, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be with us. Uh, You'd be with me as I speak words and you'd be with each of us as we listen and receive these words. This beautiful poetry, this love poetry that really connects with our souls in a deep way. And yet it connects with things that are deep within us. Deep areas of pain and frustration, deep longings, deep hurts, deep regrets. And so we pray that as we, as we just receive this together as your word to us, Holy Spirit, would you minister to each of us in the depths of our souls as we need it? And would we receive and experience and know your love? And would we love you, Jesus Christ, in return we pray. Amen. Now, in, in our church vision, which you'll see is on um, some of the banners that we've got around the room here, we are not ashamed to build what we say we're about as a church around love. And so we say here on this one with the, in the green writing, we're here because the God of the Bible is real and in Jesus We are a loved people. The God who is there is the God who loves us. That is who we are as Christians, the beloved of the God who is love. And so that for us comes first. And in response to that, written over here on this one in orange, we say that we are all about helping people love Jesus more and more. That is what we want to do and we want to grow in. Our response to the the love of God is to love back in return. And and then that love, you could say, we don't really use language of love in in, in the one over there in our becomings, but but in in those three things, that's, that's really love in action in our relationships with one another. You could say we only love because he first loved us. His love excites and inspires and animates our love. And it's as if our church vision is a bit of a duet of love, a call and response of the love of God for us and our love for him in return. Now, I think the Song of Songs validates that approach to a church vision statement. Today we see, and I've just read this this duet, this love duet takes off as this couple call and respond to one another of their love for each other and their, their admiration for one another. Now they are face to face, and as they look into each other's eyes, they declare their love. They declare their adoration. 
And together they daydream of this future life together. Now, as we saw last week, um, those of you, some of you are here for the first time this week, so, so I'll just be up to speed. But we saw last week that this, this song is about a very human love story of a young couple, but it teaches us profound things, profound realities about the relationship of God and his people. And the relationship that the God who made us longs to have with each of us. And so as we, as we work through this poetry, as we work through this song, we don't just see things about love and romance and relationships on a human level, but we see profound things about our relationship with God and what he offers to us and, and, and wisdom uh, in, in, in how to live in our relationships with one another as well. And so, so the first thing I want us to see this week is, is this shared vision of paradise. We, we pick up with a song where we left off last week, and it's this delight of this mutual affirmation. What we get is we're eavesdropping on this really intimate moment between this couple, okay? And, and he looks into her eyes, and he breaks out in song. Verse 15, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. He delights in her. You know, it's an amazing thing when someone looks you in the eyes and they say, you're beautiful and I love you. People blossom with that kind of uh, affection. It helps people to flourish as, as the person they've been made to be. It brings a great strength uh, and a great resolve. And isn't it remarkable when we just pause for a moment straight away and we remember that in this song, the man represents Jesus and the woman represents Christians. And this is a depiction of how Jesus feels for you, if you're a Christian. You are beautiful to him. You are his beloved. In Jesus, we are a loved people. That is who we are. And he, he sings over us in delight and in love. Now, maybe that's not a way that we're used to thinking of ourselves. And perhaps it's not something we're all together that comfortable with, particularly for us men. You know, God's word describes us as a bride, a bride who Jesus loves and gives himself for. And that might be hard for us as men to kind of imagine ourselves in that way, but it's a very important way that the Bible describes us as the people of God. It's a key part of our identity, and it's the key part of our experience that helps us flourish and brings us strength and resolve to live. So we need to get used to thinking of ourselves as the bride of Christ and to value that and to delight in that. We all need to know. Every one of us needs to know this kind of unrelenting love that is captured in this image of a husband who is delighted and sacrificially loves his wife. That's the way that Jesus loves us. Now, it's as if his love inspires her. And so she echoes back in response, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. She's basically saying exactly the same thing back to him, just modified to reflect the, the gender, and, and it's her speaking back to him. You see, her love echoes his. She too takes delight in him. This is the lover and the beloved. And as they affirm one another and express their attraction for one another, we see straight away that, that, that in building a healthy romantic relationship, that attraction is an important ingredient. 
We know that from last week, she doesn't meet the beauty standards of the day and, and the culture. And yet he, uh, to her, um, she's his darling. He's a poor shepherd, but, but she calls him a king. She delights in him. Physical attraction and, and so-called chemistry, they're not everything in a kind of romantic relationship as our culture so often preaches to us. But they're also not nothing if we're to build vibrant marriages. It doesn't have to be love at first sight. Many of us can kind of testify to that experience. You can, you can ask later. There's, I, I know there's enough stories in this room that people can, can relate to that. I won't mention any names. It doesn't have to be love at first sight. It can grow. And it can grow in response to earnest prayer. It can grow in response to earnest prayer. But it is important that we can learn to see and greatly appreciate the beauty that lies within someone else for you to, uh, to marry them and to have a healthy and vibrant marriage. Now, in many ways, this, this relationship that we see here is an ideal relationship that we see developing. And, it, and it's not only an ideal relationship, but it's in an ideal setting as well. This is a taster of what our love relationships can be like to inspire us. You see, no sooner has he basically asked her out than she's dreaming of the home that they're going to live in together. And, and it seems that he doesn't really mind too much because he joins in, in this daydreaming. She says in verse 16, our bed is verdant. That, that's just a word for green. She's envisaging this, um, this fruitful and this flourishing relationship. The word verdant has these links back, back when they, they, were, they were saying these things to these kind of pagan fertility cults and practices and these ideas that, that lovemaking in verdant places was connected to fruitfulness and, and childbearing. So she's talking about a fruitful uh, relationship uh, together. And then he, he, he chimes in and says, the beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. He's dreaming of an enduring and a lasting relationship. This is no kind of fling for him. He's not messing around. The home that they will establish together with these beams of cedars and these rafters of firs, these strong, these enduring trees that stand the test of time. These, these are the hopes and the dreams of a young couple newly in love. Now it's interesting how often the song taps into this beautiful garden imagery. We just see it throughout plants and trees and flowers and these kinds of things to depict this relationship of love. But the garden imagery does more than just depicting their love for one another, it's a spiritual image for us. It takes us back to how things are meant to be. You see, a really helpful and a really accurate way to read the Bible story is as a love story between God and people. A love story that starts in a perfect garden called Eden with this proposal from God to image bearers of what a relationship of, of, of mutual love with him could look like in his world, in a beautiful, flourishing world. It's, it's a love story that ends in another garden. This time it's a city garden with a great wedding party. As once again, the perfect presence of God with his people is restored in his renewed world. And in between these two gardens is a bit of an up and down love story. There's betrayal, there's rejection, there's the constant going away and coming back on the part of us as people. And there's the long suffering and the loving sacrifice and the enduring faithfulness on the part of God. In the end, sending his only son to pay the price for his bride's indiscretions and sending him to win her back. And God pursuing us with a love that ultimately wins us over and makes us lovers of God and transforms us from being wayward lovers to being faithful lovers. 
And as the Bible retells that story of this love relationship between God and us as people, regularly it taps into marriage imagery to help us grasp that reality. And here at the heart of the Bible, in this song, is a depiction of this love relationship with God as it is meant to be. It gives us a taste of what that perfect relationship, that perfect relationship of love in a perfect, beautiful, flourishing garden that's untainted by sin and the fall would look like and feel like. It's not only how things are meant to be, but how things can be between you and God and how things one day will be forevermore. This is a vision of a perfect of an enduring home. It's a vision of fruitfulness and life to the full. It's a vision of complete intimacy and mutual delight. It's a vision of the place that Christ is right now preparing for his people, the home he is getting ready for us that we will one day enjoy forever with him. Now, isn't that something that we long for? Isn't that something that we long for, maybe without even realizing it, something we were made for? We'll come back uh, to that thought a little bit later. The poem moves on. And as it does, her insecurities that we saw last week, they, they resurface again in, in chapter 2 and verse 1. She says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Now listen, a rose and a lily for us, they are, they're beautiful flowers that, that basically represent love, are often a rose or a lily would be my go-to bouquet if I want to communicate love to someone and show them my love. But, but for them back then, these are just common, everyday wildflowers. It, millions of these would pop up in the desert with the spring rains. And so they're really n- nothing special back in, in their time. It's a bit like saying, listen, I'm just a daisy or I'm just a dandelion. You know, I just kind of pop up on any little tuft of grass or even through concrete sometimes. <laughs> um, it's beautiful in its own way, but it's not a showstopper, is it? If, if you took a daisy chain to, you know, to your wife to show your love, then probably, yeah, don't. Um, it's a common everyday flower. But he won't accept there's anything common about her. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. To him, in a world of thorns, she is the one and only lily. It's like our saying, a rose between two thorns. But this is a world of thorns and only one lily. He has eyes only for her. She is the one that he wants. Now, it goes without saying that it's vital for the health of our marriages, those of us who are married, that we are this single-minded for our wives as husbands. That we have eyes only for her and not anybody else. Not online, not in, in, in physical presence. To see true beauty in her. And in all the world, to have eyes for one woman and one woman only. Spiritually, though, we can feel much like the women too, can't we? We can feel so ordinary, so aware of our imperfections and our failings and our weaknesses. And we can become so focused on them. And we figure the best hope we've got is that maybe God would just tolerate us and, and begrudgingly put up with us, much like we do with ourselves a lot of the time, because we have to and we can't escape ourselves. But listen to this, in a, in, in a messy world that's full of thoughts, Christ uses people as a beautiful lily. He looks at us and he says, you're a lily among thorns. 
And as they say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's often said Christians are the same as, as everyone else. They're just forgiven. And it's a, it's, it's a saying that's honest about the fact that Christians are not better than anyone else. Christians aren't morally superior in, in any way. Your, your character flaws don't vanish as soon as you become a Christian. It's really honest about that. It's good in that front, but it's not honest enough about all we are in Christ. The problem is the word just. Christians are the same as everyone else, just forgiven. Is that all we are? Is that all we have? Yes, we're freely forgiven, but we have so much more as well. We're his delight. We're his love. We're beloved saints who he has made holy and he is making holy. He's giving us his beauty. He's giving us what delights him and what brings him pleasure and what makes him smile. He is forming in us what he finds beautiful and what delights him. To Christ, if you're a Christian, you are a lily among thorns. This is the great love with which he has loved us. You might not feel like that about yourself. You might default to self-loathing, self-hatred, frustrations with yourself. But this is who he says you are. So listen to him. Hear his delight over you and bask in it for a moment. And what happens as we do that is our love is inspired and animated in response. You see, she, in verse 3, replays Repays the compliment with something similar. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. He is her choice. He is the only one for her. In a forest of trees, he stands out as the apple tree, a place of refuge and security, a place of provision and delight for her. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. And so she she um, envisions her lover as a place of shelter from the sun, as a place of refuge, a safe harbor from the harshness of life in the world, as, as one who provides sustenance for her, who brings her refreshment. He is a tree of life amidst a garden full of trees. Now, this vision of this man, this lover as, as a tree, an apple tree, is quite a, quite a vision, isn't it? It's quite a high calling for the role that we as men are to play in our relationships with women. To be places of security, places of refuge and provision. As men, we're not to be those who use our, our strength to, uh, for our own advantage, but we're to use it to serve and to protect we're not to use it to dominate and to use, but to provide. We're to be men who others can rest under our protection and our provision. Now, being that kind of man and loving that kind of way can only happen to the extent that we experience and we are shaped by the love of Christ. He puts this perfectly into practice. He is our place of refuge for all of us. He is our place of security. He provides for all we need. He refreshes and restores us in his love and in his sacrifice. Christ is the apple tree in whose shade we all rest. And we delight to sit. And whose fruit is sweet to our taste. 
He's the only one who can and who does provide for us as people in this kind of way. And so we can say to him in response, you're the only one that I want. He says that to us, and we say it back to him. And the final section of of poetry for today is all about longing for this love. See, the woman, we've already seen it a little bit, but she she daydreams, imagining this ideal future together. And, And now her daydream moves from the garden to a beautiful decorated dining room, and then finally to the intimacy of a bedroom. I think perhaps she's dreaming of her wedding day. You see, she tells us she is faint with love. She's lovesick and she's longing to be with the one she loves. She's longing for his presence and intimacy. And she's desperately looking forward to and longing to be married. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. The image is is their wedding feast in this grand banquet hall. And the bunting, the, the, the flags that hang over the top table of the bride and groom reads out, he loves me. And she sits there as a bride on a wedding day under that banner of love over her. That is the banner under which she wants to sit. It's it's the banner under which she wants to live. The certainty and the assurance of his covenant love. None of this, he loves me, he loves me not. As the teenager picks at the, the flowers of the daisy, uncertain about whether her love will be returned to her. No, this is the robust and the sure certainty of this everlasting love and faithfulness. It's a banner over her whole life. He loves me and he loves me still. And from there, her daydream moves to the bedroom as she imagines their intimate embrace in the consummation of their marriage in verse 6. His left arm under her head and his right arm embracing her. She longs for that intimacy of their love. And while she waits and while she longs for that, she needs to be strengthened and refreshed, for she is faint with love. There is, there is a patience. There is an appropriate waiting that comes with healthy love. It's why we shouldn't be surprised by this warning uh, about love that comes in verse 7. And, and listen, this is so important that it's repeated three times through the song. We'll, we'll see it in future weeks. Verse 7, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. You see, it is because of the great power of romantic love and because of the great power of sexual intimacy, which is such a good thing, that it comes with something of a health warning about its proper use. This is a rubbish illustration, but it it might help a little bit. Think of the best and the strongest cleaning products that you have at home, okay? They come with, yeah, it's not very romantic, so. Um, They come with a a warning, don't they? How to use them properly. There's some restrictions there, because if you use them properly, then they'll be safe, and you'll benefit from what they're intended for. If you use them improperly, then it'll cause all sorts of problems. This warning is not saying no to sexual desire. It's not saying no to intimacy. At the right time, in the right relationship, it's a wonderful gift from God. But at the wrong time and with the wrong person, well, what heartache it can bring. 
And we see all around us, don't we, the destruction of intimate love being used and abused and, and misused and treated far too cheaply. So this song encourages us, don't awaken feelings as strong as this until the time is right and the safe context is created. And we need to be clear, according to the Bible, the Bible's vision of, of, of love, this safe context, is the covenant of marriage. Built on its public promises of covenant faithfulness and its commitment to other-serving love, that is what is vital for a secure and stable long-term relationships. It is that relationship which creates the security of in which we can flourish and within which we uh, can see deep intimacy uh, kind of cultivated and grow with one another. It is in that context that the vulnerability, that the self-giving of sexual intimacy is to be experienced. Now this warning is not here to condemn, but it is to lovingly warn and to teach and to guide. It's to entrust us with wisdom, how to live well in the world that God has made. It's a word of loving warning for those of us who are not currently married, particularly if you're in dating relationships or you're engaged. Don't give your heart, don't give your body away without the security of the covenant relationship of marriage. Now, it's hard, isn't it? Because our desires and our longings can be so overpowering. And listen, the world spends endless time and endless money and endless effort seeking to stir up within us these desires for love and for sex and to create within us a dissatisfaction. Just think of the plots of the films we watch and the lyrics of the music we listen to and the adverts and the billboards that we're bombarded with. Day after day, it's hard. And our culture teaches us that every desire should be satisfied right away or we're not living life to the full. And we just, we just hear that message all of the time. But God's word cuts against that. And his loving warning and his wisdom comes to us. We must handle something so precious and so good with care. We must not awaken that kind of love before the time is right. And discipline and patience are called for here. But listen, I said this, and I mean it, is not to condemn any single one of us. And particularly any of us who know the pain of trying to foster that kind of intimacy outside of the context of marriage. There is grace and there is restoration for all of us in these things. What we need to remember is that the song... It's giving us this, this ideal, um, this vision of this ideal romantic relationship that every single one of us falls short of in various different ways all the time. Whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're divorced, whatever our current uh, situation is and our current experience, whatever our past is, all of us don't live up to this and haven't experienced this in its fullness. And it is vital for all of us to be won by this good vision. This compelling vision of love and romance and to uphold it. And at the same time, what the song says to us, what it sings to us over and over again, and what we need to hear is of the everlasting love and the deep grace that Christ has for each of us that we so desperately need. We are a lily among thorns. He loves us. He says we're beautiful. He delights in us. 
That is who we are. We're not the product of our past. We're not our experiences. We're not what we've done. We're not, what, we're not ultimately what others have done to us. We're who he says we are. And for, for all Christians, the cross of Christ is a banner of love over our entire lives. Jesus' arms held out as he offers himself to death out of love for us personally on the cross. And across his arms and his body is etched. He loves me and he loves me still. This is the tree of life under which we find eternal refuge and safety. This is the place that we're protected, the place that we can shelter. It's the place we're provided for and we receive abundant new life forevermore in his blood poured out for us. This is the banner, guys, that we can live under with certain assurance of his love. This is the covenant love the faithful love, the enduring love that creates the context within which we can flourish as people, within which we can find strength to live each day. There's a sense in which all of us, spiritually speaking, are lovesick, like the woman here. Our hearts long and our hearts ache and for something that we don't have yet. But we feel that we ought to have or, or we deeply desire this, this beautiful love poetry. It's not, it's not to like rub our noses in it that we're missing out or we've messed up or we haven't got something or we can't have something. No, this isn't about what we're missing out on, but this is what we're offered in Jesus. This is what we have in him. And this is to cause us to long for it ever more deeply. As this song expresses the beautiful delight of our relationship with Jesus, it, it captures the longing that we feel for the fullness of that relationship, of the fullness of what he promises. The things that today we must wait for patiently and with some self-discipline. Yes, his banner over us is love. Yes, his cross shelters our lives. And we know something of the joy of the lover and the beloved. If you're a Christian, you know that. But two, uh, at the same time, we long for um, to be in the presence of the one who loves us. We long to be in the presence of the one who gave himself for us. We long to be with him that we have come to love. We might even daydream of our forever home. We might even daydream of the wedding supper of the Lamb, of seeing Jesus' face and looking into his eyes and him looking into our eyes. We might daydream about the fullness of life that is enduring and solid and firm and lasts forever. All of that is to come, and it is coming. While we wait, we need to be strengthened, we need to be refreshed, and we need to be sustained. And with that, as we experience his love, as we bask in his love. Yesterday, I was... Uh, Friday, actually, I was in the park, and it's this time of year, we're just getting the last little bits of sun, aren't we? And I just I had to get outside and just sit in the sun before we didn't see it for six months and just bask for a moment in the sun. His love isn't going away. That isn't what I'm saying there. His love stays. But we're to bask in his love, just like we bask in the sun at this time of year. And as we do, we grow in love for him. And we grow in love for others. His love animates, animates and excites and inspires our love. Let's pray together.
Jesus again. It is a complete mystery as to how you have such delight and love and affection and warmth and positive things to say to us as your people. Lord, help us to bask in that love. Lord, if we feel uncomfortable or a bit weird about it, help us to get over that. Where we have self-doubt or self-hatred or anything else that might get in the way of us experiencing and knowing and believing your love, please, Spirit, would you remove those, those hard stones from our hearts and soften our hearts. Uh, assure us of your love. Let us know it in our heads and let us feel it in our hearts. And say, so let us live in light of your love in our lives, we pray. For your glory. Amen.